Hello everyone. Welcome to the first episode of Out of the Box Talks, a podcast from United Way of Chennai. UWC is a social enterprise that commits to mobilizing the caring power of communities through sustainable and impactful interventions. We work on the verticals of environment, education, health, livelihood, sustainability and disaster relief. We also engage thousands of corporate volunteers each year towards the betterment of the communities in Tamil Nadu, Puducherry and Kerala. In this podcast series, we talk to great minds, role models, on-ground players and action heroes about their work, issues, challenges, solutions and understand the world through their lenses. In the first episode of Out of the Box Talks, we have Ms. Revathi, who is the founding trustee of Vanadal Trust. In 2004, the giant waves of the tsunami wiped thousands of lives away. The tragedy drew Revathi to visit Nagapatnam and volunteer for relief work. She did not turn back after that. Vanadal Trust runs a school for children from extreme poverty and the ostracized nomadic communities. Revathi strives to ensure equality and dignity for nomadic communities by working for their protection, development and well-being in Tamil Nadu through education, livelihood, advocacy, health and nutrition initiatives. United Way of Chennai joined hands with Vanaval Trust to stand with the families and street vendors of Nagapatnam during the second wave of COVID-19 pandemic and provided dry ration and monetary support. Hi Revathi, uh, welcome to UWC's Out of the Box Talks. We are so glad to have you here with us. Thank you. Uh, who are the nomadic tribal communities that you work with? How do you identify the children who need support? So, I would start from this quote by Dakshin Bajrange. Mm-hmm. He is a nomadic tribe and a denotified nomad, a denotified nomadic tribe community leader and he is a filmmaker and theatre person. Mm-hmm. So, he said that in 1947 on August 15th, the whole country got freedom. Even people in jails were let go. Yeah. But the only set of people who did not gain freedom on that day were the NTDNT community. Yeah. So the nomadic tribes, uh, they were confined to settlements because of the Criminal Tribes Act uh, uh, brought in by the British in 1871. And uh, they were locked up in certain areas. It's called settlement and they were kept in those places. Mm-hmm. Basically, the Criminal Tribes Act said anybody who's nomadic or certain communities are prone to criminal activities and hence they need to be confined to some spaces. Mm-hmm. So this act was removed in 1952 after five, five years of our independence but it did not uh, change much of their lives okay. because not enough livelihoods or welfare measures were brought to these people who were unnecessarily blamed and unnecessarily confined to the criminal status that was put upon them, the stigma that the criminal status brought in, all those things remained. Okay. You know, so basically that's a long like bird's eye view thing of nomadic tribes. But for you, if you uh, the people who see you you see on the street where the child is walking on the rope, where this uh, person comes with this decorated bull and is saying good things are going to happen in your house and uh, a wedding will happen, you're going to get job. So that's the Bumbu Matakara whom we work with. And the Narikuravas are the ones who are actually hunters and uh, traders. When I was young, they used to come and sell madaya, like the birds that they hunted True. in the streets and they make all implements, you know. Mm-hmm. Like in every region, they make uh, handmade implements and they sell it. 
So there are many, in Tamil Nadu there are 71 nomadic uh, communities wow. but uh, we work with mainly uh, two communities, Bumbu Matakaras and Narikuragas. Okay. And uh, how we identify is, we feel like all nomadic tribes need help because wherever we go, wherever we find them, they don't have any uh, facility and most of them are out of education. Even though RTE is in place and there's a compulsory enrollment that's happening, but we find in most hamlets we go of nomadic tribes, children will be there or children will be working with the parents. So uh, we don't select students from the nomadic tribes. We have selected the nomadic tribes as our target and all the children in the nomadic uh, communities, whichever hamlet we go, we go hamlet by hamlet, we expand like that and we work with all the children. That's wonderful. So what are the challenges that you have been facing while you work along with these uh, nomadic communities? So the biggest challenge is they keep moving. Now they are not like as nomadic as earlier, okay. but they are uh, they're still not sedentary. Like they are not, uh, like it's not like an agricultural community or anything. Mm -hmm. So they keep traveling and every month they come back. Now because they want to have ration card and all those facilities, so they stay in one place where most of the hamlets of the nomadic tribes if you see it will be like very small huts one or two proper houses is, uh, is, a, is, a, is a miracle okay. actually so all of it is huts and tents and those things so the parents keep moving the parents keep coming to Chennai, Kerala wherever and wherever there is a temple festival happens the parents will go mm -hmm. so the biggest challenge is the parents will take the child with them at least the younger ones they take the bigger yeah, elder children also to work with them to sell stuff and all that. Mm -hmm. So the biggest challenge is that nomadicness, which we, uh, which is why we even started a residential school. When we started a school, we didn't realize this. Okay. Then we thought there has to be a space for these kids to stay when the parents are going out, and uh, that's that's one challenge. The second biggest challenge is that the non-recognition of such communities by the state, you know, sure. because they don't have a community certificate. Even though there are great programs for the scheduled tribe, ST or NT category, none of it is uh, usable. Like they can't access it because they don't have the proof that will link them to that uh, welfare mm -hmm. scheme because they don't have community certificates. Okay. So, when you spoke about the schemes and programs that are, are provided by the state government, could you just briefly share with the listeners as to what those schemes or programs are? It's actually a very complicated thing. Okay. When, if they get identified as scheduled tribe, okay. then they get all the benefits of the schedule, like reservation, there's 1% reservation in education, in jobs. And for ST, there is like a, um, there are many schemes in every state, and they get housing, or they have there are schemes where you can get lands, you get subsidized loans, and all. Mm -hmm. But the nomadic tribes all over India have this problem because not in, in most places they are not identified as ST. Oh, okay. so which is why the Indian government formed uh, two commissions. Like mm -hmm. in 1952, they were denotified. But uh, in 2008 and 2014, two commissions of the central government, Renke Commission and Nidarte Commission, they went around India to find out what is the status of the nomadic tribes and they came up with these reports. And they came up with some appalling details, like where 60-70% mm -hmm. of them are not educated, women are not educated, and none of like more than 50% don't have households like, like shelter, basic shelter mm -hmm. and it's a very disturbing picture and they came up with a slew of suggestions that a nomadic tribe welfare commission should be formed in each state 
and mm-hmm. all that but none of that has happened okay and uh, they also particularly said this caste uh, the community certificate the question of identity which is a huge problem should be resolved forthwith but it has not happened even now the bumbu matakarars are struggling to get their community certificate mm-hmm. and many students are not able to go to college because until that we force the school we tell them that they have to study mm-hmm. but when they have to go to college uh, they need a community certificate mm-hmm. and we have actually we are sending at least four or five kids without community certificates in the uh, open category okay so that's not possible for every parent right like vanavil is an organization we mobilize funds and we send them in the Uh, open category mm-hmm. but for a bumbu matakarar parent or even for a nirula parent who doesn't have a community certificate that's not possible to send uh, the child on the open category where they won't get any scholarship or fellowship or any of the uh, benefits so there's basically a huge lag between what the schemes are and what exactly the yeah. needs of the community is so it definitely requires a policy level change change certainly so uh, when you work with women Uh, what do you think is the pattern that you are observing in terms of their needs and how do you address them so we primarily work with the nomadic women but mm-hmm. then we exist in a rural village and we do we do meet all other kinds of other women also i see that uh, in the rural uh, areas the biggest crisis is the debt crisis oh okay. they are taking loans from multiple money lenders mm-hmm. with huge interest rates mm-hmm. and uh, they they are subsisting on that okay. so most of these loans are supposed to be livelihood loans mm-hmm. but on paper but in reality people are living their everyday life with these loans or doing marriages and uh, health issues these mm-hmm. two are the biggest mm-hmm. uh, uh, spending items for rural people so so what what happens is every month you have to pay this month of this much of interest okay and you have to generate that money and you're working for that so constantly there's no there's no way of getting out of this uh, circle of uh, poverty because whatever you pay is like interest okay. so that's actually the crisis actually of livelihood which a sustainable livelihood that will give you a living wage okay. because much of the alternative livelihoods are giving them like like extra money like you have a job and this will give you like 100 rupees a day is not a living wage in yeah. mm-hmm. in india now in any, even in a small so, village so sustainable livelihoods that will give a decent living wage this seems to be the biggest crisis mm-hmm. and women on the one hand we say they are not participating like workforce participation of women in india is going down mm-hmm. in the rural area women constantly if you go there they'll ask you please find me a job okay. or get me a thing the thing is they want a proper wage they don't want these uh, small small options that we give them where they can make some money mm-hmm. because they don't have any other primary uh, source of earning money True. and for women and for single women and widows for there are a lot of them in the villages mm-hmm. it's a it's a it's a double crisis because mm-hmm. at least where the married uh, where the husband is there even if he is an alcoholic or anything there is some money he can bring mm-hmm. in or some guarantee he is there but for the single women it's it's even more difficult because nobody trusts them to give any support and uh, they have to support their children and uh, livelihood i think is the biggest crisis but the other part of it is which we never see is the violence okay this livelihood mm-hmm. crisis is there for men also and for women also mm-hmm. the crisis in livelihood and the unabashed uh, uh, spread of uh, intoxicants you know like alcohol Mm-hmm. it has resulted in extreme violence women are enduring 
in their uh, houses. The domestic okay. violence has gone up highly and uh, safety of women in public spaces is also, uh, it, has, it has been a problem earlier but now I feel like it's, it's become a little more uh, accentuated yeah, mm -hmm. because a lot of young people are constantly on their phones. There's, a, there's another kind of uh, situation that's opening up where men are constantly on their phones and okay. taking videos and sending those videos of girls has become like this fashionable thing. Mm -hmm. And nobody knows about cyber crime and all in rural areas, you know. Okay. They don't even know there's a cyber crime department where you can complain. Mm -hmm. So a lot of uh, girls are facing that issues, like of blackmail and all. What are the interventions that you have brought in order to address these you know, issues that you so when we started, uh, when we started, we wanted to, we chose education because okay. we thought that can give a fundamental change because they were really in a very problematic situation and we thought uh, rather than doing anything else, we'll, let's go to education. Okay. But when we started education, we realized health is an important factor because mm -hmm. unhealthy children or unfed children can't study. So then we started our nutrition program and uh, health became a serious concern and we take care of their health in a very uh, engaged way. Mm -hmm. But we realized if a child doesn't have to beg, most of the nomadic children were begging when we started one mm -hmm. Our point is to bring them out of begging. So when you think of why a child relapses into begging, it's because the family is going through a crisis. There's a debt mm -hmm. crisis or there's some money need or there's somebody is unwell. So we started livelihood, when we started Barnaby, we started livelihood, mm -hmm. uh, but we couldn't uh, do it very well. At the time we were beginning and our capacities were like not up to the mark and we couldn't do it. But in the COVID situation, we revisited that area which we left at that point to concentrate mm -hmm. only on education and um, we started a livelihood program okay. and uh, we wanted to work with the skills that they have instead of teaching them new skills in mm -hmm. the COVID period. Mm -hmm. And most of the nomadic women are like really good in people skills. They can mm -hmm. talk very well. They have the selling capacity. So we gave them loans to uh, do uh, micro and uh, like they carry on their head. They okay. sell plastic, they sell fancy items, many things. Okay. So they're basically uh, vendors will go around to the villages and sell which was something connected to what they were doing earlier okay. as soothsayers and performers so that is uh, one thing we're doing about livelihood yet we want to build a bank you know like not a huge bank but at least a small bank where uh, women can have loans which have lower interest or uh, no interest if it's even possible okay. mm. and that would really help because to sustain any livelihood they need to access to credit and the only access seems to be to the uh, private credit and the okay. money lenders credit. Mm -hmm, so that mm -hmm. is something that we are trying to do, not yet uh, done. About the violence, we are working with younger women okay. and teaching them about their body and about their rights and in a, in a more organic way, we do sports and we do other things and bring these things in because these are like really culturally mm -hmm. entrenched notions just by saying that you should, no man should hit you. It's not going to result in no man hitting you. Okay. So we are trying to find ways working with these younger women on how to bring about this. Okay. So, okay. so as you continue to work for education and women empowerment, what is the need of the R? Where do you think people should pitch in? Um, the need of the R, I think, is the safety question that needs to be. As a society, we have to make this space much more safer 
for girls true, true. and women because young girls today they have come out get education and go to the job market mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's where the whole transformation can happen for them in life but that is being challenged by the amount of violence and uh, things that happen mm-hmm. i mean tamil nadu is comparatively much better than uh, like the northern states mm-hmm. but still there is this this culturally backwardness that is there in the rural areas like for example in nagapatnam mm-hmm. if you conduct an interview so many women will come for interview okay. they be mba finance msw robotics oh. and they will all be in nagapatnam only they don't go to chennai for work or when they in nagapatnam what work do you have only in the textile shops as sales girls mm. and there are so many women just go for that and remain at home Okay. so that is a that's that's one thing i feel and uh, for very marginalized women as i said livelihood is a concern and more concerted efforts uh, should be uh, made in the livelihood sector but the point is there has to be living wages so it can't be just a uh, extra help kind of a livelihood but a livelihood that will give them living wage what motivates you to continue to work for women and children of these communities so uh, what what motivates vanavil is the impact that we produce okay. and uh, our uh, our team members who are really uh, glued in on to our vision like they really happy doing this mm-hmm. and uh, of course our children uh, personally what motivates me is uh, is the tenacity that i got from my ma- mother and mm-hmm. the extreme love that i get from my children the vanavil children mm. because they really uh, love me and that was something that i experienced for the first time in life that without any expectation that they could be so loving and happy so and that's that's and and now when our children have graduated and they become like reporters they become like engineers and 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 stuff like that uh, they really motivate me like if they can because they were like begging until 12 years mm-hmm. and then they came to our school then they studied and then they i mean they faced so many uh, stigmas and discriminations but they went ahead and they became that mm-hmm. so when i see them i feel like uh, that really motivates me that's so good to hear actually <laughs> are there some myths that you would like to uh, break down about the development work for women and children i as i uh, i was uh, talking earlier also most people uh, want to uh, fund things that the state will follow up while i understand the rational and it's it's, pro- it's coming from a right place mm-hmm. but what happens is multiple uh, multiple donations or multiple levels of work happens in the cities mm-hmm. uh, because of this policy and for the government schools in the cities whereas the rural uh, rural parts Mm-hmm. rural development is never given importance because they don't fall under the geography and uh, they don't they are not seen as sustainable but work like ours which is working with the community we are replicating the state by running a school but mm-hmm. the school is important because in, in if you go to any other nomadic village you won't see this many graduates we produce mm-hmm. these kids have a specifically stigmatized uh, condition to overcome which they need one step where they are protected where they where they, there is a separate hostel for them and all these things then they can go into the mainstream mm-hmm. so just because we have rte doesn't mean everybody has gotten into school so uh, so the questions of sustainability i should be looked upon as the benefit that has been uh, accrued to a person the development in that one particular beneficiary where does it lead to 
Okay. So I feel that is one thing, and then there's this whole thing of success. You know, like because we have to be a success story. It's mm-hmm. a huge pressure. I feel. for organizations and for beneficiaries mm. because i have seen lot of kids like as some of our kids have become uh, reporters and doctors some of our kids are not good academically mm. and they have become they taken vocational training and they are doing sustainable livelihoods in their village mm-hmm. so we should uh, uh, redefine that uh, success a bit i feel because sometimes failure is important for you to understand the problem better as i told you when we started livelihood first we failed in it okay. we couldn't do it but it made us understand the complexities of the problem much more mm-hmm. like that even for uh, women and children sometimes failures are inevitable and they are a great learning opportunity mm-hmm. but uh, generally success is what is expected but i feel like failures are also important for ultimately uh, getting where you want to so the approach should be more qualitative than quantitative that's yeah. something which we have to also highlight when it comes to sustainability that yeah. so baby when you say vanagal is a happy school how do you ensure the children feel safe and happy how do you gain their trust and friendship so the most important thing is the children should have a say mm-hmm. and they should know it it's mm-hmm. not like a token where you have a focus group discussion and the children will give their opinion mm-hmm. and we put it up in a document we consult the children on many things mm-hmm. and we take it seriously mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. like the children will can complain about teachers okay and uh, the teachers can complain about students and mm-hmm. they can have a discussion mm-hmm. so that happens sometimes it's difficult to convince the staff because they say how do i manage the class if they keep doing this okay. but most of our children if you come and talk to them they will say if the teacher hits them like it's it's banned in our school or they if they try to even they, they tell them that we will hit you they will say no i will go and report about you and then uh, then you will have a problem okay. so that level of uh, actual participation of kids we ensure Mm-hmm. and uh, and we are not very uh, we are not very a uh, disciplined school it, it's probably we are a happy school because we are not uh, we do not believe in formal discipline a child can go out of the class mm-hmm. if, he, if he or she is not interested the child can choose to do what they want to do okay. because we believe learning happens in in every place okay. not just in the classroom and uh, yeah and learning from the children also we do we interview them about their community we do a lot of work so we we call their parents like we do indigenous peoples day their parents come and talk in the meeting so that's kind of building value for what they are and what their families are you know and mm-hmm. so when they are valued and their voice matters and uh, everybody is friendly with them mm-hmm. then i think it's it's possible to have a free learning experience a free learning environment is, is always happy that's really very interesting to you know listen how does your after school program work is it any different from vanavil school or um, our after school program works on the same lines of the vanavil school but uh, i won't say it has the same impact because in school we have 8 hours with the children okay and we have like really close ties with the parents and all that mm-hmm. but it's a slice of vanavil school when we when we wanted to expand and we wanted to scale building more school seemed like a really huge daunting task and <laughs> we were like really then we came up with this after school idea so we give them nutrition okay because malnutrition is still a huge problem with the nomadic tribe okay mm-hmm. and we give them uh, education supplementary education 
focusing on math and english mm-hmm. and helping them with the school subjects and all and we do extra curricular activities so that they build that uh, self thing you know in vanavil kids have that sense of self they have this ownership okay. which we try to build in these things in these villages also okay. the problem comes that in the place that most of our children face stigma in the school Okay. so much of our work seems to be uh, erasing that and making them feel good and trying to talk to the school and send the kids back into the school so they keep dropping out people mm. think dropouts happen only because uh, the parents are not sending or kids are not interested but some amount of uh, dropouts for sure especially in the ntst sector happens because uh, sti- uh, because of uh, discrimination in school mm-hmm. we had one child this year who didn't write his 10th exam because he says i don't have any friends oh now we didn't God. first understand what why you don't have friends means why are you not writing 10th exam that's how your mind works because you you want all these kids to write their 10th exam he said i i just can't go to that school and everybody hates me so i won't and another girl she's from the narikuravar uh, tribe and uh, there is in cinema narikuravar women are taunted and teased mm-hmm. as they are very good looking they were smaller skirts and all. so they keep calling her that all the boys in the school oh uh, and that that is made her to drop out like she's good in education but uh, she's passed in standard but she's dropped out we tried everything in under the sky but she's just uh, not interested to go there mainly because of this uh, teasing mm. but as an after school program we do uh, We, we trace their educational levels we mm-hmm. try and do conceptual teaching also like math skills and english skills are uh, are a real problem mm-hmm. in the in the rural schools so we we we, are, we address it to a larger extent and we also assess them based on that acer uh, mm-hmm. questionnaire and we see how they improve and uh, right now we come to a we understood properly and now we're doing a good job in covid our after school centers worked as uh, health centers also okay. like our teachers okay. monitored fevers and everything and uh, our children are getting lot more prizes and uh, in the school wonderful. competitions and we keep encouraging them so mm-hmm. those things are also happening that's wonderful who are the different stakeholders that you uh, collaborate with the first stakeholder is the community okay like we want to we want to work with the children then the parents become our primary uh, stakeholders mm-hmm. but the children are also a stakeholders we don't okay. treat them as one mm-hmm. just because the parent has said something doesn't mean that the child because it, because ultimately the child is going to be with us for the whole day mm-hmm. or for mm-hmm. 2 hours or for 3 hours and then government invariably is and a bigger stakeholder for us uh, see we are not uh, funded completely for any project by any mm-hmm. uh, thing so uh, bulk of our donors are individuals and uh, hni okay. uh, people so our, the stakeholders that we work with they are really involved some of them are really involved they've been donating to us for all the 17 years so they are one of the stakeholders and we intend to work with the state government at all locally we work with the government agencies education okay. department child protection social defense and all mm-hmm. but we ultimately want to also work in the recent year we decided that we should bring in policy change to get them community certificate and all mm-hmm. the, on that we want to work with the uh, academic institutions the state government and uh, and lobby with the uh, policy makers to get something but that is something that we want to do we we only started now that's why 
can you briefly share one transformation story through your intervention for our audience in 2005 the tsunami happened and i went as a volunteer and uh, then i started the school because because lakshmi was a infant who succumbed to malnutrition oh. and that kind of shook me because i was a, i was working in films at that time mm-hmm. and uh, it felt like nomadic children's lives are like 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 fluke whether they survive or not and that was a unbearable thought for me going from where i am like privileged uh, city based journalist so i had things easy in my life so i mm-hmm. thought these things could be changed but we couldn't save that child and she passed away which is also why we started vanavil mm-hmm. so when we started vanavil uh, we used to have a lot of meetings with the community to convince them convince the parents so this one mother chellamal she came and told me you seem young why are you wasting your life like this you should <laughs> go back we have this curse on us they oh believe that God. they are cursed by some god to mm-hmm. beg and live mm-hmm. and even if you do anything whatever you do this is a cause you can't win over our kids will not study the, the transformation is chellamal's daughter is the first engineer from the uh, nomadic tribal community she works in it sector now that's really wonderful <laughs> her second daughter is a textile designer oh. she just finished and she's started working in a eco friendly uh, dye making thing her third daughter she is joined M- msw in mssw oh my god <laughs> and she is promised me that she's going to come back and run the organization <laughs> chalamal is like uh, uh, to stand and very happy and uh, she's but the thing is even though she told that after a point when she saw her girl studying she put her all in to get these girls educated that was also there because she could have stopped them in between she didn't do she believed mm-hmm. in it after a point like in 2 3 years she could see that her daughters were really bright mm-hmm. and she just completely supported them now charamal is really happy and uh, her daughters are, have made her and us also very proud it's very motivating actually <laughs> to listen to so revathi what are vanadil's upcoming plans so what we are doing already in education is uh, this virana school we run after school programs in mm-hmm. uh, uh, 11 villages and we are doing a higher education program okay. where the children coming from these communities get a scholarship to study in college mm-hmm. but we also uh, ensure that they get into proper courses in proper colleges because mm-hmm. uh, just any course in any college doesn't lead you to a job or a career mm-hmm. so that's what we've been doing well and that we will continue we are continuing lively would be work with these women mm-hmm. uh, health and nutrition has been one of our primary focuses and uh, that there we work a lot fighting malnutrition uh, the two areas that we wanted to do more is about uh, research and advocacy okay so we are doing a participatory hamlet survey mm-hmm. of uh, different uh, nomadic villages okay. which we intend to release in this year itself we almost finished it just to show to the state what is their socio economic uh, mm-hmm. position about mm-hmm. on housing etc the other important area we work in work is in the child protection because most of our children are into begging mm-hmm. uh, we we have a program like we have a center in velankani where they go to beg where they are constantly being monitored and sent back home okay. so child protection and uh, awareness about child marriage nomadic communities are uh, prone to child marriages as a cultural habit so that we kind of completely stopped in these three districts because now the we made the community itself to come up with a, a dictum saying nobody should marry 
below 18 so but still we monitor this because some kids just run away and then they get them married so child protection is also one of our important areas of work thank you so much sweet for joining us today for this talk me as well as the listeners we had a really wonderful time listening to all those inspirational work that you are doing we wish vanavil and you a great luck for all your future endeavors thank you thank so you so much and united way has supported us in very critical ways at many times mm-hmm. and uh, i'm really uh, honored to be here to do this and i'm very thankful to united way because you connect uh, problems to solutions and it has really helped us at many points thank you thank you thank so you. much dear listeners to know more about vanavil's work head to www.vanavil.org follow out of the box talks in your favorite podcast app by pressing the plus button to know more about our work and to get involved check our social media as united way of chennai and email us at partnerships at unitedwaychennai.org this is your host margaret signing off see you in the next episode